Just teach me, Lord, to know your ways, to know your truth. Yes, Lord, I want to know you. It's better than I know you. Teach me, Lord, to know your ways, to know your truth. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know it's better than I know you, better than I know. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to know your ways, to know your truth. Yes, Lord, I want to know you, sweet Lord, I want to know It's better than we know you, better than I know. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord. Lord, I want to know you better than we know ourselves, better than I know. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to know your ways, to know your truth. Better than we know you, Lord, Lord, I want to know better than I know myself, better than I know. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord. Begin to pray and give God thanks. Give God thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank I think last week we began a series or so on the book of Thessalonians and um, we dealt with the first part of it and we dealt with the second part of it and, we, and that now today we are going to second Thessalonians oh yeah 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 hallelujah it's a good thing for us to go through scripture and study scripture for ourselves 
A lot of people study scripture because they are learning to go and teach. Others also study because they want to learn to live it. We learn to live it. Hallelujah. And my prayer is that every word of God concerning your life will come to pass. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So we are dealing with 2 Corinthians. There is 2 Corinthians. 2 Thessalonians. It, now, 2 Thessalonians was written a few months after 1 Thessalonians was written by Apostle Paul. So today, um, I just want to, we will, I'm trying to see if we can be able to finish with the whole book so that we can, um, we can proceed to maybe the book of Galatians or something. Wow. Hallelujah. <laughs> the book of Galatians. Amen. Gradually we are going. Are we not going? Yeah. I want to take us through the, the books with short, short. Then we'll go to the big books with big, big verses. We are going verse by verse. Are we not going verse by verse? But by gradually we'll get there. Even if it takes us 10 years, it will come to a point where we will come to a church and we we'll say we have been able to read the Bible verse by verse from back to back. Hallelujah. Amen. So who wrote this first Thessalonians? Let's look at verse 1. Paul, comma, and Silvanus. Silvanus is Silas. And Timotheus. Timotheus is what? Is who? Timothy. So the author is obviously Apostle Paul. And he's also telling us that while he's writing this letter, Timothy is there and Silas is there. Hallelujah. And I told you when we were doing our first Thessalonians that Paul wrote this book in his second missionary journey where he went into the city of Macedonia and encountered these Thessalonians and he preached to them for just a few days or a few, maybe a week and, I, and there was a fight and they had to beat them and they had to run for their lives. <laughs> Amen. And so, but before they even went here, they had already go, gone to a place and preached. And while they were, they were, they were, they had not even began preaching. They were just walking through the town. And um, they, 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 there was a lady who was chanting after them, these are children of the most high, these are anointed prophets. And Paul, I think the lady kept doing it every day. And Paul got angry and rebuked the spirit out. And the people that were using that witch for their business got angry and they said, Paul and Silas have spoiled their business. <laughs> so they arrested them and put them in jail. <laughs> Hallelujah. And even in jail, God's plan was fulfilled in the sense that the jailer received his salvation. Hallelujah. And so we see that right after here, they go to Macedonia. And this is where, and, and, and after even, after the first, um, after Acts chapter 16, Paul is confused as to where to go and he has a dream. He doesn't know whether to go this, you go here, go here, go here. And he has a dream and a young man tells him, come to Macedonia. And these are the people that he preaches to. And his first letter is already encouraging them because they are going through difficult seasons in their Christian journey. Because they are living in a foreign land. They, some of them are Jews, some are Gentiles. And they are living in a pagan society where these Greeks were serving um, Greek gods. You've heard of Poseidon, you've heard of Hades, you've heard of At Athena, and all these um, Greek, Greek gods. 
And because they decided that they were going to, and they, they were living at the center of it. It's like um, saying that you are living in maybe in a town where they worship idols. And you are living in, in, the, in the, it's like living in Antoine or something. I don't know if you get what I mean. Uh-huh. And you are living in Antoine Palace. And you say you are a Christian. You understand? So this is exactly why they believe it. This is exactly how the believers in Thessalonica were facing. They were at the heart of idol worship. And that's why in chapter 1, we find out Paul is giving them praise. And in fact, your faith is spoken all over in the whole world. Now after Paul has written to encourage them and to tell them to work, because some of them, some people in the church were scammers and they were deceiving them for money and other things. Paul finishes writing and he talks about um, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. After I finish talk, talking about it, about a few months later, Paul is compelled to write again to them because when we continue to read, we find out that these people have, first of all, there are, are three, every single chapter of the book answers um, 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 one issue. The chapter one talks about Paul's encouragement for them in persecution. Paul is encouraging them in persecution. Chapter 2 is talking about the day of the Lord. And chapter 3 is talking about idleness. You get it. So one, the chapter 1 is more like a summary of the whole of um, First Thessalonians. So chapter 1 is encouragement in persecution. In, in, in tribulation. Where Paul is telling them that tribulation is a good thing because it actually affirms that they are children of God. And he said the reason they are going through storms is to prove to them that they are part of the kingdom of God. Because even our Lord Jesus Christ had to go through storms and tribulations. Then chapter 2 deals with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And chapter 3 deals with idleness. And laziness. And we know why chapter 3 deals with that. Then he finishes his letter. Full stop. Paul is a, is a nice guy. <laughs> so he divides one chapter per, per one particular um, uh, something. Amen. So, um, I said chapter 1 is about what? Chapter 1 is about what? encouragement and and in persecution again uh-huh. and then also in the chapter one we see him making now the interesting thing about second Thessalonians that makes it so beautiful is that every verse begins with uh, 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 okay not every verse uh, did I say every verse every chapter ends with a prayer chapter one ends with a prayer chapter two ends with a prayer chapter three ends with a prayer and every single prayer is specific about that particular thing he has already spoken about in the book. So the outline is as what I've given you. Thanksgiving and encouragement in, in, in the faith. And then chapter 2 talks about um, the day of the Lord. Now, again, I want you to understand that after Paul had written First Thessalonians to them, they, oh, you can, you, can, you can join them. After Paul had written First Thessalonians to them, the, some of the believers in the church 
had said that, oh, if Jesus is coming just now, because some of them didn't even understand what Paul was meaning. If Jesus is coming just now, let's stop working. So some of them stole their properties. Some were not working again because they were saying, Charlie, Jesus is coming next week. And again, when Paul finished writing First Thessalonians and delivered it to them, it was found out that an imposter went about in the name of Paul with a false letter telling them that the day of the Lord has taken place already and they had missed the rapture. And this made them frustrated and confused about the day of the Lord. That they were like, how can God, how can he just come and take all the saints away and he refused to take us away? <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> Aha. So, Paul now had to write a letter to them to tell them to explain the confusion that they had about the day of the Lord. And that same letter also made them know that the only way that they can, some of them are not serious at all, the day of the Lord has taken place and the rapture or whatever, the day of the Lord has taken place and people have been taken away from their midst. And aside that, to, if they are going to really be able to meet maybe the second day of the Lord or something, they should hurry up and sell their things because he's coming again for them. And Paul has to write a letter to answer this as soon as possible. If you study the dating between the first Thessalonians and second, it's like three months or four months later, he's writing a second letter, quick, 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 so that he doesn't lose his church. Amen. Amen. So the author is what? Paul, Silvanus, Silas, and Timothy. Unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the same introduction is seen as it was seen in First Thessalonians. Do you see that? Yeah. In First Thessalonians, say Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he went on to greet them. So this one too, he, this is like he, he's repeating the same thing, just slight changes. He says, verse 2, grace unto you and, and this was one of Paul's greetings. Most of the times, if all, in all of Paul's letters, he begins by mentioning his name. Then sometimes he talks about his, um, his apostleship and who he is in Christ and all of that. Depending on who he's writing the letter to, then he greets them by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be unto you. So here he's saying, grace be, grace unto you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the grace of God that appears unto them. And now, since we are doing verse by verse. Now, most of the time when people talk about grace, they think grace is all about unmerited favor. And um, um, what, what do we call it? Unmerited access that a man has from God. But when you pay close attention to the New Testament, find out that grace sometimes is not talking about merited favor. Sometimes grace is even a reward. <laughs> Are you with me? It's not in your Bible that says he gives grace to the humble. It means the reason he gives grace to them is because they are humble. Are you with me? So that kind of grace that is given, it means he gives authority, he gives power to the humble. So the grace used here is not like grace for salvation. This is more like God strengthen you, like the way we can sometimes say in our charismatic circles, more grace. When we are saying more grace, we are not saying more unmerited favor. We are saying, may God give you power. May God give you strength to fulfill an assignment. And this is exactly the use Paul uses in all his letters. May God give you strength to fulfill his assignment. 
grace to you. And peace from whom? Come from. He's telling where the grace is coming from. The grace is coming from God the Father. And the grace is coming from who? God the Son or the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. As it is meet. It is meet there. It's as it is right. As it is pleasing. As it is good. Why? Because your faith grows exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all towards each other aboundeth. He said, you know what? We are bound. We have no other choice than to give thanks for you. Do you see it there? He said, we are bound. Bound there is like we are in chains. We have no other choice. Okay? We are tied up to give thanks always for you. Why? Brethren, because this is important. Because your faith grows exceedingly. Now, this is a church that is in the midst of intense persecution. And Paul is writing to them and he's telling them that I don't know how you guys are doing, but you guys, you deserve recommendation. In the face of opposition, your faith grows exceedingly. Why can't I stop thanking God for you? Because your faith grows exceedingly in the face of persecution. And these are groups of people, I told you, they are groups of people that are living at the heart of sin. At the heart of idol worship. Are you with me? Like we are living in our generation today, especially if you are living in Europe and you are a Christian, you will be a mock, a, I mean, you will be a laughing stock. Okay? They will laugh at you. They will even show you 99, one reason why Christianity is fake. Do you see that? And these days, uh, yeah, just this morning, I woke up and I found out that Yvonne Nelson had also put her mouth in a statement and she said that this day, he said, now, if you want to be rich, be a politician or start a church. Start a church or be a politician. Why are pastors not rich? Are you with me? <laughs> maybe she say she may be a politician or something. But I mean to say that we are living in a generation where there's intense persecution against Christians. You go through, scroll through social media now and then, here and there. They are insulting a pastor. They are insulting preachers. They are insulting Christians. And this is the same thing that was happening to the Thessalonians. And Paul is saying, you guys, oh, you can, you can leave it like that. Don't worry. Paul is saying, you guys are phenomenal. You guys are outstanding. Why? Your faith grows exceedingly. I mean, he's saying, the statement used, your faith grows exceedingly, is the same statement Jesus is using when he says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, shaking together, pressed down, running over, shall men give. That's all those words, shaking together, pressed down, running over, good measure, is that, he's trying to say that your faith has exploded. I mean, your faith cannot be contained. Your faith is not like that kind of Christianity where it is No. He said, this is not Akumamu. Everyone can see it. Are you with me? And that is the kind of Christianity we must live. Our Christianity must speak. People must see us and identify Christ. 
Are you with me? Yes. You say in the face of persecution, there are some Christians, they'll be in a car and people are just lambasting pastors and preachers. This person has never been cheated by a pastor before. Then the person says, ah, I mean, if you do that, means you don't even have faith in the first place. Are you with me? And I've had those kind of experiences over and over again. And Paul is saying, you guys are going through persecution, but your faith is growing exceedingly. And your love towards one another aboundeth. The word aboundeth there is also the same thing as growing exceedingly. So that, and because of that, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Do you see that? So he's saying the reason your faith is growing in the face of persecution, in the face of tribulation. They are beating some of you. Some of you are losing your marriages. Some of you are losing your children. Some of you are losing your jobs. Some of you are being becoming outcasts. And in all of that, you are still holding on to your faith. You guys are outstanding. And because of that, we glory in you. Hallelujah. Which is, is that which the persecution which you endure and the tribulation which you endure? Which is now, I told you when I was beginning that, you see that he has already begun talking about the tribulation, right? He's telling, he's now about to tell them why God allows persecution to come into the life of a believer. It's in the verse 5. He says, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. See, verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Verse 5 is saying, the reason you people are going through storms is, is a manifest token of God's righteousness towards you. To prove to you that you are partakers of the kingdom. Listen, if they insulted Jesus, they won't spare us. If they betrayed Jesus, they will spare us. Are you with me? If they kill Jesus, they will spare us. If they laugh at him, they will spare us. I, I follow what I'm saying. And so, tribulations and difficult times and afflictions, I told you the other time that God recruits his soldiers with high lands of tribulations and afflictions. God builds his children with tribulations. He builds our faith with storms. Listen, we won't even know what faith is if we don't have lack. Don't you think so? Don't you think so? We won't, have, we won't even understand what faith is. Faithful healing is if we've never fallen sick before. That we have had to pray every single prayer and still we are not getting the healing. That's where faith is truly seen. Are you with me? That you are expecting an open door in job and the job is not coming. Marital door, it is not opening. And all, maybe all your classmates are marrying. And you too, you are a fine gentleman. Oh. The ones that are even marrying are ugly. 
Anyway, <laughs> are you following what I'm saying? You get what I mean? And you who is fine, you are not married. And those are the times that we see if you have faith in God. And a good example we can have is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said to the king, he said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, let it be known unto you that if the God we serve will not deliver us from your hands, we will not bow down to this graven image. He said, Our God can deliver, but if he doesn't, we don't care. We don't give a damn. To hell with you, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is what we call faith. That you have faith in God even amidst the times he doesn't give you. The times he takes your money from you. The times he takes your joy from you. The times the things you pray for, they came, then he takes it away. You pray for a car, you get the car, the next man you get an accident. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Now the day a man gives me a car, I'm going for the car, then the car gets an accident. <laughs> Do you understand? <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> I mean, and that is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, you know what? The God we serve can deliver us. If he doesn't, we won't blame him. He's too good. <laughs> and this is what Paul said. He said, you guys are good. Now somebody will look at you and say, eh, the Old Testament is a cake. There is nothing there for us to learn. Are you sure? Are you serious? You are a joke. <laughs> The Old Testament is the New Testament demonstrated. Are you with me? So when we look back, in, when we stand the New Testament and we look at our lives, we reflect it back to the people of the Old Testament. Hebrews says, and all these people, and all these things that they endure, were not made perfect without us. And you are saying that if these guys, Elijah was, Elijah was sought after, he ran for his life. Are you following what I'm saying? And, you are, and they are saying they will not be come perfect with us. And what does it mean? It means to I will also run for my life one day. <laughs> and you come and tell her fasting is a cake. It's not needed anymore because I'm the righteousness of God in, of Christ, of whatever, God in Christ. <laughs> are you with me? And he's saying that these people that live of old, eh, even the thing that they experienced was just a prototype of the real thing. If Elijah fasted for 40 days, how many, years am, how many days am I supposed to fast? I mean, if I am better than Elijah, how many days am I supposed to fast? That's what I'm saying that if we, you know that like the Old Testament said, if you sleep with a woman, if you have sex with a woman, you have committed adultery. In the New Testament, Jesus said, Master, I'm raising the marking scheme. If you look at a woman's bottles and you're like, hey, that thing is nice. He said, hey, he said, you are, you are the same, you and the one who went and Went to a shower place and had sex. You are the same. <laughs> and they say the Old Testament is whatever. Are you sure? Huh? <laughs> the marking scheme is high in the New Testament. So if those guys face difficult times, we will face difficult times. Again, if they face the goodness of God, we will face the goodness of God. If they saw the power of God, we will see the power of God. If they saw the provision of God, what will we see? We will see more. I don't know if you get what I mean. I mean, those guys, God was able to do mighty things in their midst, and they were just a shadow. The word used shadow in the New Testament for those people simply meant that it was um, 
It was not the real thing. Are you following me? It's not used in, in, a, in the sense of light throwing on something, but rather it was simply not the real thing. It was just a, a, a flash. It was just something that was just to tell us the real thing is coming. And we are the real thing. Would we experience more? If they experience times where God had to try them for 40 years in the wilderness, don't you think he may take us for 80 years? The reason Christians don't receive much from God is that he takes us through more difficult times than he did to Job. Yeah, he will make you a promise. You will wait for it for 20 years. You will see it. You will see it. And he's there, he's watching, he said, you said you are be better than Elijah. Let's wait and see. <laughs> then when he's done with us, we too like the Thessalonian believers. He said, our faith will grow exceedingly. That our faith will be spoken about in all places. You know how you can develop yourself, you can overcome temptations. You see somebody who is married for 12 years and suddenly has a child. You know everybody hears about it. <laughs> are you with me? That people are like, no, this is impossible. Then suddenly they give birth to they give birth to twins. They give birth to quadruplets, triplets. Firstborn, four children at a go. <laughs> the first one becomes an engineer. The next one is a prophet. The, the third born is a, is a lawyer in the US. The fourth born becomes an ambassador. Then the one who was giving birth like, like laying eggs. The first one is a criminal. The second one is a non-robber. The third one is a, <laughs> a non-believer. The seventh one. I mean, you understand what I mean. So, it is after we have been tested and we have been tried that we come out like pure gold. And this is what Paul is telling them that you guys, God is doing this because it is his talking of his righteous judgment. That be happy when you go through trials and temptation is a sign that you are a child of God. Amen. Amen. You said that for me. And again, Paul says in verse 1, in verse 6, he says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense. The real recompense is repay or punish or pay back. Tribulation to them that trouble you. Paul is saying that those who are persecuting you, those who are laughing at you, one day, God will punish them for persecuting you. And he said, it's a good thing. Let them persecute you. And when they die in their sins, one day, they will receive punishments for persecuting you. You remember some time ago, I was teaching on something and I said that God is going... One, the reason God is going to send sin, one of the reasons you send sinners and punish wickedness is for the righteous. To recompense them. You understand what I mean? I mean, while others are stealing and making wealth, we are struggling and beating. I mean, we are living righteousness and others are misbehaving. And if he doesn't punish them, it is not fair on our side. You understand? <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why God will punish the wicked. For us, for our sake. He said, <coughs> where are we? <coughs> Verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall come, shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 
Now you remember in in First Corinthians, First Thessalonians, he's talking about he talked about the Lord will come with the voice of uh, an archangel and uh, with the blowing of a trumpet. And over here he's saying that you know what God has given you a token of tribulation. Just experience it. One day he will repay you, and the day he's going to repay you will be the day he returns. And he begins by telling us that, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to revenge the world for our sake. And this also tells us that the, the, the Thessalonians also wished that they could revenge themselves. Okay? Because they were persecuted and sometimes they felt like, let me also go and hide in some bush and hit this guy's head and kill him. Are you, are you with me? Because as Christians begin to go through certain persecution, like a young sister who goes for a job and the boss says, before I give you the job, I have to have sex with you. And because of that, she, she has to lose her job. Sometimes she also feels like, may God punish that man. May God destroy that man. Hey. Elijah is going off. May God destroy him. May God punish that man. Are you with me? And that's the same way. Sometimes we, we also go through certain difficult times. We, we feel like, let me also curse somebody. And that's what Paul is saying. I said, relax. God will do the deal for us when that day comes. That God will enact vengeance on them that know God, not God. Who did not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished? He said they shall be punished with what? everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from his, the glory of his power. Now, you must understand that Paul is talking about two things here. He's saying that the punishment of the wicked shall be what? Everlasting. Have you seen it? He's not saying it shall be for one year like some people say that oh, you know, um, uh, Sinners will be in hell for a short time. Then God will change his mind because he's loving and he'll bring them back to heaven so that they'll come and enjoy. The Bible doesn't teach that. It's a heretic teaching. The Bible teaches that. The sinner. You know that sinners, like, you know, do you notice that sometimes you go to invite people to church, you pray, we don't, I don't want to hear your gospel. I don't want to. I mean, I don't like church. Paul is saying that these guys, all their life, the sinner all his life has always wished that he's separated from God. Do you understand? The sinner, all his life, doesn't have, he doesn't want to have anything to do with God. So Paul says that on that day, God will grant his prayer request. And the granting of his prayer request is that God is going to make them go into everlasting destruction away from his presence. That their prayer request is going to be answered. They say, we want to have nothing to do with God. One day, a man will find out that God will answer his prayer request while he's in hell. He will also say, Lord, I wish that you could give me a drop of water. And God will not even be there to answer him because God's presence will be taken away from him. And I don't want to go deep into the presence of God right now concerning this matter. Maybe another day we'll talk about it. Okay, let me just give you a gist of it. The presence here is simply talking about anything good that will come from God will be restrained. While he's in hell, Everything good from God 
will be taken away. Because we already know that God is everywhere. So there's no way they'll be in hell and God is not there. God is in hell. Are you with me? Aha, uh-huh. but he's in hell because hell is his. Hell is India. It is his, his hospital for sinners. They should go and die there and be bent. So he will certainly be there, but the being there that will be there, he will be there as a as a judge, a righteous judge, who will be burning them the more, and it will be a good thing. <laughs> and they will want to have a, a tip of water like this on their tank, and they won't have it. But the same God, while they were living on earth, was showering water on them. But Paul is saying, <laughs> I think sinners should start piling their water out so that because in hell they won't get water to drink. <laughs> When he shall come to be glorified in his sins and to be admired in all them that believe. Means when Christ comes, we will admire him. We will love him. We will. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. The day that he's talking about here is still the same thing. The day of the Lord that he is. Now he's concluding to go and begin with what I told the day of the Lord in the chapter 2. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, hey, I'm reading it again, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also we pray, he's ending chapter one with a prayer. Also we pray for you that our God will count you worthy of this calling and to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Let's digress a little bit. Let's digest it a little bit. Paul is saying that we are praying for you. And the prayer we are praying for you is that God will count you worthy of, his, of this calling. What is this calling? This calling refers to the calling unto salvation. Which also is a calling unto the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. Which also is the calling unto tribulation and persecution. So Paul is telling us here that persecution is a call. <laughs> that you will be worried that after going through all these storms and trials, you will still f- be found standing in your faith. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Then again, he says, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. That this is almost the same thing Paul is saying that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, which are all in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? So the, the prayer he's making here is that I know you guys are going through a difficult time, but I'm praying that God will do good to you. And throughout scripture, Paul doesn't have to explain what it means to do good. When I say God bless you, he's being general. So the goodness of God is talking about it. I mean, God, those of you are sick, that God will heal you. Are you with me? Those of you who are grieved, that God will comfort you. And do you know that sometimes God comforts you by giving you money? Sometimes God comforts you by giving you a job opportunity. Sometimes God comforts you by bringing a man into you. I mean, any way God will bring you that comfort... I mean, God should give you that goodness. That God will fulfill something in your life. And in that fulfillment, you will have the good pleasure of his goodness. That God 
God's goodness can be a pleasure. Hey. Are you with me? Just like the psalmist said, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. He said, at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's the same thing Paul is talking about here. And the right hand of God simply talks about his power and authority. And that is why he goes on to say, and the work of faith with power. Because pleasure comes from his right hand. And power comes from his right hand. And he said, God is going to answer your request. And God is going to do good to you. Amaze that. You will be able to do the work of ministry with faith and power. I see God giving somebody power to do ministry. Power to heal the sick. Power to advance the kingdom. Receive grace in the name of Jesus. Power. Verse 12. That the name, when God gives us power, he's praying again, oh, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him. Now, notice that he's saying that when you are able to be counted worthy in your persecution, and again you receive the goodness of God's pleasure, and again you are able to walk in power, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified. And your name will be glorified. That is what he's saying there. Do you see that? He says that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. In who? In you. So when some people say, oh, God's glory, whatever. I mean that to say that God even says that. When we, he said, when we endure persecution, God finds glory. And he glorifies himself in us. The same way Jesus said, Lord, glorify your son, even as your son has glorified you. So there comes a time in God's, in our lives where God chooses to glorify us. To glorify in this sense simply means God decides to honor us. Are you with me? That you see, as we begin to walk in our Christian journey, there will come a time where God will honor us. He will honor us in marriage. He will honor us in ministry. And I know that this ministry won't be like this forever. Are you with me? A time is going to come will be in our hundreds and thousands. Are you following me? And me too, I feel a certain sense of fulfillment in a way. And I feel like, wow, God has honored me, me, pa. Today I used to preach before five people. And now I'm preaching before what? 10,000 people. And no one has no kind of glory. And when God is giving a man glory, he's still simply what? Exalting him. It's the same thing like um, God gives grace to the humble. When he gives grace to the humble, he's glorifying him. He's exalting him. He says that, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you. God will find glory in me. And I will find glory in him. Look at it there. And ye in him. I mean, Christ will find glory in me, and I will find glory in him. So he's talking about koinonia. That I will have a share of God's glory because of Christ. And because he gave me persecution as a token, I also partook of Christ. And now, like Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him. And that same way, through persecution, God will also exalt us as kings and priests and mighty men. And he shall give us crowns of glory. Are you aware that he give us crowns of glory? Why will he give us crowns of glory? Because we lived our lives to bring him glory. Are you with me? 
Then he goes on to chapter 2. And now chapter 2 is now about to talk about what? The day of the Lord. I told you that the believers were what? They were confused because an imposter wrote a letter to them and told them that, you know what? The day of the Lord has already come. You guys were not attentive. When God was snatching people away, you were not there. You, now you have lost your salvation. You know, and they were confused. And then the same letter also told them that, and I think it was another, one guy in the church was roaming about saying that I'm Paul's son. <laughs> Are you with me? And he was just, he just coming from Paul's place. And Paul is telling, the day of the Lord is next week. Hurry up. Hurry up. The first badge has already gone. He's not left with the second badge. Hurry up. And some of them stopped working. Someone who is going to get married said, me, I'll marry again. I so by the And are you following me? And then maybe some stubborn brothers who have never <laughs> seen a woman before say, Hey, the Yesu Papa, the Yesu Manya, Anya, the Maboka. And I'm in Copebi, I'm in Cohe, and I'm here. Yeah, are you with me? <laughs> so some were selling their properties and their lands, and Paul has to now tell them. So, chapter 2, Paul is dealing with. The day of the Lord. Amen. Now, this book, this chapter 2, is one of the most misinterpreted texts of Scripture. Those who believe in rapture use it, those who don't believe in rapture use it, those who believe in Antichrist. This is where all those Antichrist things are. Well, those who say that the Pope is the Antichrist is all here. This we are about to read it. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's how it goes. Amen. So in this chapter two, Paul is urging them not to worry about the day of the Lord. That it's not their, it's not actually their concern that they should just um, just trust God because if the day of the Lord even comes, God will still preserve them and God will still keep them. So they shouldn't have to they shouldn't have to worry through all these kinds of things that will happen. Let's begin to read. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by gathering unto him in the um, chapter 1 Thessalonians 4, he talked about the fact that we shall be caught up in the air. We shall be gathered with Christ in the air at his second coming. And some people did misunderstood him and some people, because of the imposter who came and was lying, they were confused. He says, now I'm about to tell them the day of the Lord. He said, now I, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that day of the Lord is at hand. Now, they, because of that news that came, they were troubled. They were confused. And notice what Paul is saying. Don't be shaken in mind. Don't be confused. Don't be troubled. Neither by spirit. It means that someone said the Holy Spirit has spoken to him. Do you see that? Neither by spirit. He's listing some of the means that people were, felt like the rapture or whatever it is, whether rapture or whatever, the day of the Lord had come and God had already taken his people away or something. Not by word. This is talking about word. Not by what? Letter. 
It means somebody wrote an imposting letter. An imposter. A false letter that seemed to look like it was from Paul. About the day of the Lord. He said, as from us. Do you see that? As from us. It means they had received a letter that looked like it came from Paul. And Paul said, concerning the day of the Lord, at hand, it's a lie. Let no man, there is going on again. Let no man deceive you by any means. How many means? And this letter should also tell us the same thing. When somebody, you remember some years, over the years, I, I am a young man. And over the years, every five years and every six years, somebody say, Jesus is coming next week. Have you heard of it before? And they even give dates. I think 11, 11, 11, they say Jesus was going to come. Exactly, they look for perfect numbers. Are you following what I'm saying? And sometimes even genuine men of God may even do their own calculation and say, no, Jesus is coming the next seven years. And over the years, church, do you know that? Let me do some church history a little bit. Some believers believe that, uh, the, uh, some early church believers believe that Jesus was coming 600 years later, after Christ. And some also believe that he was going to come. <laughs> After the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem in AD 70. This is just about 20 years after this letter was written. And so that's why uh, the book of Revelation was written. So that to, to let them know more about the coming of the Lord. And that is also why um, the other books that were also written about after the destruction of the temple, because a lot of people felt like Jesus should have come, but he has not yet come. So what is going on? Aha. Uh-huh. And there were other groups also. Actually, the, the true Christians, I mean the true believers, believed that Jesus was going to come 6,000 years after that time. Yes. So if Jesus is supposed to come after 6,000 years, do you know that he's left with 4,000 years? If we have to look, look at that, they believe. Because it's 2,000, it's left four. So, as believers, I told you last time that we must have it at heart that he can come any day. And that one will help us to serve him well in love. Okay? And in, in humility and in service to him because we know that we can die any day. We also know that Christ can come at any time. But we should not allow anyone deceive us that Christ is coming next four years. Are you following me? Be, and Paul is saying, bless you, you're welcome. And Paul is saying, from any man, any letter, as if it comes from us, let no man deceive you. And that's why when the COVID came, people started giving a lot of theories and postulations about um, the, 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 that Jesus is coming again and I will, oh, oh, that he's coming this within the, the, the COVID. Now we, all those things, I don't know where, some people have already de- deleted their videos and other things because some of them have been disappointed. Do you understand? And Paul is telling them that let no man deceive you. For that day shall not come. Except they come first a falling away. What is a falling away? The way falling away there is the great falling away. Some people call it the great apostasy. I define apostasy, which actually is not just I define apostasy anyway. The Greek word is apostasia. Okay? Which is a hostile rejection of Christ by unbelievers. 
Are you following me? And as the years, so apostasy is a hostile rejection of Christ by unbelievers. It has most of the time been taught that, oh, apostasy is when people lose their salvation and people, that's not what, it's nowhere taught anywhere that apostasy is when people lose their salvation. First of all, when it is used, it's used in the first context as, or the first form as, when unbelievers reject in a large number that you go and have a crusade and preach to thousand people only to accept Christ. That's a serious thing. I mean, a radical rejection. And we are coming, we are approaching that and we have not yet gotten there. That we are living in a generation where people can strip themselves naked and walk in town and call themselves LGBT and whatever. I mean, they are naked. And, I mean, we are, we are getting to that day. So the first thing Paul is saying is that there shall be a great falling away that now people will publicly denounce anything that has to do with God. They will denounce anything that has to do with Christ. They will reject the gospel with passion. I've been in a car and a preacher got up to preach and somebody said, But previously, many years ago, even even when, when, when we are talking and somebody mentioned the name of God, we all felt a certain sense of reverence. Now, when they mentioned the name of God, everybody said, um, that's what Paul is talking about. He said, a great falling away. Many shall fall away. Many shall reject the gospel. And another form of the fall away is, many shall depart from the faith. By departing from the faith, we are not saying that they shall lose their salvation. They shall depart from the faith in the sense that they shall reject the truths of the Christian faith. Okay? They shall come to a point and say, mm, um, it could even be that Christ Christ didn't even die. It could also be that even Jesus Christ Christ was just like a man and then um, there is nothing like Trinity. And if the Bible Christ was written by men, it's not the word of God. I mean, the fundamental things that makes up the Christian faith, many will come to a point and they'll say, oh, this thing Christ is not true. And that is apostasy. Are you with me? Are you following me? Yes. So Paul is saying the first thing that will mark the day of the coming of the day of the Lord is what? The great falling away. The great apostasy. A large number of people reject Christ. A large number of people will say, We don't want to go to church again. Now, notice everywhere you go, people are against church with serious, I mean, people hate church with passion. I say we have done something against them. It is a state of their heart against a re, of a rejection against God. That they hate God so much that anyone that likes God is their enemy. I follow what I'm saying. And this is why we must be encouraged by these things because we are living in that time. We are living in those days where... If you love God, you are an enemy of the world. I mean it. That I've been, when I was in college, college people knew me as a man of God. If somebody was talking about any bad example, they'll say a bad example and say, I see if I'm the one who did the bad example. Do you understand? That anytime somebody does anything bad, they just generalize it and they put it on Christians. As if we all went and did it. Are you with me? Are you following what I'm saying? So he said the first thing that will mark the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is what? The great falling away. 
The Greek word is apostasia. That's where we get the word apostasy from. And the second thing is what? And that the man of sin be revealed. The man of sin be revealed. We don't know which man this is. Anyway, this is the one that people say is the Antichrist or something. But Paul doesn't say he's the one. So we, we just don't have to just conclude. Uh -huh. The man of sin. And he said, this man, the man of sin, be revealed. The son of perdition. This statement is used twice in the Bible. In the, Bible. the first time it is used is referring to Judas Iscariot. Okay. The first time it's used is referring to what? Judas Iscariot in John 17, 12, and the same thing is used in Luke 10, 6. The son, the son of perdition. Where Jesus was, 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 was speaking, and he said, John 17, 12, he said, when I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou givest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition. So this also calls our attention to the fact that this son of perdition that he's talking about can be some form of a betray. I don't know, maybe a guy who will lead many to, because he's already talking about a great falling away. And again, he's saying the second thing that will happen is the son of perdition, the man of sin who is the son of perdition will be revealed. This guy is someone who is going to fall away. This guy is somebody who will rise against God's law. He will rise against what? Um... Um, national law. Okay? National law by national law, I mean that this guy will, like previously, you know that previously, gayism and all these things were against the laws of the country, but now the lines are being blurred. Now we don't even know which one is good and which one is bad again. And, and that's exactly what is happening. And Paul is like, he's trying to tell her, one, they will reject the gospel, and second, a time is going to come, people will be lawless. I think it goes on, he goes on to talk about it. For I can't find it. Where am I? For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken away. And then shall the wicked be revealed. The wicked there is capital wicked and is different from the son of perdition. I think this one is Satan or something. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and wonders and miracles. And with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they deceive not, they receive not the love of truth. They didn't receive the gospel that they might be saved. So they received not the love of the truth. Is they didn't believe the gospel. They didn't receive the gospel that they might be saved. Uh -huh. That's what I was looking for. Look at it. For this cause, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. You see, the son of perdition, I think we have jumped a lot of things, but I had to read it so that we get the whole context of what Paul is talking about because this whole thing is, is one thing he's talking about here. Where did we start from? Um... Where were we? Verse 7, eh? Okay. Um, the son of perdition, where is it found? 
I can't find it. Verse 3, right? Hey, then we are we are far behind. <laughs> yes, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called of God. You see that? He is going to oppose every law, oppose every rule. That is worship, so that he as God, seated in the temple of God, show himself that he is God. He said, This guy or this system, it's possible that it's not even a person. It could be a system, and we are seeing that in our times today where people are claiming to be God. By claiming to be God, they are claiming a certain sense of authority. Are you following? Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? And we are seeing it. And we are seeing different kinds of people that are coming all over the world and they are claiming a certain sense of Godhood. Lawlessness. Hmm. Show himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with... Ah, I think I jumped to the verse 7. That's why I didn't get this one. When I was here, I told you all this. Paul said, when I was here, I, did, I explained all these things to you. So, remember it again. Okay? And now, ye know what withholded that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. He says that these guys are already working. These things are already 2,000 years ago. Paul is saying, the son of perdition was already at work. That's why I said it, it may not be a, a, a specific individual. But it's a system. Okay? It's like a presidency. Somebody comes, somebody goes. Somebody goes. Another person comes, another goes. But the one behind it is Satan. And he's saying that, verse, um, verse 7, now I said, only he who now letteth will left until he be taken out of the way. Now, here he's talking about the fact that the reason why the fullness of this thing has not yet been revealed, the man of lawlessness is that it is a mystery that the reason why his full state and his full nature is not revealed is because there's a being who prevents him from working. That there's a being on earth who is preventing him from working. Are you with me? That the reason the final tribulation has not taken place is that there is a being on earth. Some people say it's the church. It's because of the existence of the church. Those who believe in rapture say it's the church. When the church is taken away, then, um, um, then he'll be revealed. But this one, he uses the word he. And we can only infer from the implied that the he is referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the restraining force. You will sometimes hear the reason that Antichrist has not yet come is because of what? A restraining force. And some say it's the church. It's not, it's not necessarily the church. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at work in his church is the restraining force preventing the fullness of the son of perdition from having his control and absolute dominion here on earth. And that's why Paul began by saying, don't be afraid because the one who is withholding him is still here with us. And that's why we must understand that, you know how sometimes some people can be afraid ah, with final tribulation and all these things that Antichrist will come and he will be torturing people. And a lot of Christians are afraid. How many of you have been, ever been afraid before? Raise your hand. I have also been afraid before. I remember those days when I was watching Jay-Z and um, Pope John Paul. I was afraid. It's the same thing Paul is saying. He said, be not troubled. Don't be afraid. And he's going down there and said, forget. The reason he can't do anything is because the Holy Spirit is here with us. It is when the Holy Spirit is taken out. He that letteth, if when he that letteth is letteth out, <laughs> then he will be manifested. Amen. 
Where do we get to? And again, he said that for this cause, God will send them strong delusion. Why will God send them strong delusion? Because they have chosen to believe in a lie. And if they've chosen to believe in a lie, what will God do? God will give them more lies. God will allow them to walk in more delusions. Like Paul refers in Romans chapter 1 verse 28. Let's go to Romans 1 28. Paul says that. For as they regarded not to know God, even so God delivered them unto the reprobate mind to those things which are not convenient. He's saying that these guys, because they've decided not to accept the gospel, when these times come, what God will do is that if you think, if you, why, why, why do you say, have you seen that we are living in a time where um, people are becoming more addicted to things. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah, well, those who are who love football are becoming more addicted, including the pastors. I mean, seriously addicted to football. People are becoming seriously addicted to pornography. Seriously addicted to sin. He's saying that's what God is going to do to them. Since they've decided that they won't serve God, I will hand them over to more delusions. And they will become more soaked in sin. That they will love it even the more. They will believe in a lie. Have we seen it in our time? That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. How many people? He's saying all the reprobate will be damned. All who refuse to believe the gospel, they will be damned. Why? Why would they be damned? Because they refused to believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Look, eh? Sir, Christianity now, man, for evangelists, for not a preacher, about ten years, I'm small. A yabosom. I tell you the truth that you have to stop wearing this thing or stop doing this thing and stop doing that thing. If not, you go to hell. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. In our Bible, the only way a man will be damned is when he rejects Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying again. He said they shall be damned because they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the truths, the commandments of Jesus Christ. You know, those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ, we will obey his commandment. Are you aware? Because Jesus said, my sheep follow me. That's why you are here. Do you see that? My sheep follow me. We are constantly in a place of trying to please God, trying to serve God. But these guys, they did what? They loved unrighteousness. I mean, when they kill somebody, they are happy. Huh? They compete over fornication. I mean, they send messages to their friends and say, Charlie, I hear where this guy, I clear him I clear this girl. I finish this girl. This guy, ah, I clear him. I clear him too. I finish this one too. Are you with me? And somebody can brag and say, you know what? I've drunk all kinds of alcoholic drinks. I've, uh. That's why he said they love unrighteousness. He said they shall be damned. Why? Because they refuse to accept the gospel. And rather loved unrighteousness. So how can a person be saved? By accepting the gospel and hating 
or righteousness. Then he goes on to pray for them again. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. When did God choose them? When did God choose them? From the beginning. Are you, are you there? When did God choose them? Oh, I want to hear you. From where? From when? The beginning. He didn't choose. You know how people say, I chose Christ. You didn't choose Christ. He chose us. Are you with me? The Bible doesn't teach that we choose Christ. No man. Jesus said, Jesus said that. He said, no man can come to me except the Father draws him. No man. It means that nipa bienu obet bafa Jesu di say when yan kopon adikan frere. And Paul again, you remember in 1 Corinthians 1 Thessalonians where he said you are elect of God. He said, brethren, beloved of God, your election. And here again he's telling that don't forget, God already chose you from the beginning. Where is the beginning? Genesis I mean, before you were even born, God had already chosen you unto salvation. And this is why when storms come, and this is why when the, when the tribulation time comes, you will be kept because you were already chosen from the beginning. I'm chosen from the beginning. Nothing can change this fact. Nothing can snatch me out of the presence of God. Nothing can remove me from God. He says, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. Now, theologically speaking, this is called the effectual call of God. That God chose us. Okay? And he Predestinated us. Let's look at Romans. What's our time? Oh, our time is almost up. Then let's let's forget about it. Forget about the Romans. I didn't see the time. Eight twenty is already up. Time is over. In Romans, you see the chain of God's election. Okay, Romans eight twenty eight downwards. I think we've read it a number of times, but let's still read it anyway. It's not our church. Romans 8.28, he says that, and we know that all things work together for good for them that love God and for them that are called according to his purpose. So the only people all things work for, together for good are those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It's not everybody. Are you with me? You can go and see a sinner and say, oh, you go and see a non-believer is trying to quote this scripture to prove a point. He said the only people all things work together for good are the called of God. Then he said, for those he did for no. That's what Paul talked about here. For those he did for no. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might become the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, for whom he did predestinate, he also called. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. For 2.14, he says, Wherefore unto he called you by our gospel. 
that the way God calls his children is through the gospel. This is why even though we know that the there are specific people in every tribe. God has already ordained them to salvation. The way he calls them to salvation is through the gospel. And this is why we must go about preaching, calling our brothers and sisters who are in the world, who have not yet come to the light, to come into the light. Because they've already been chosen before the foundation of the earth to be conformed to the image of Christ and to become children of God. But they are still in darkness. And we are meant to go out there and preach to them he said, brother, you don't know me, but I know you in Christ. And Christ has sent me. He said, other sheep that I have, which are not here also, I will go and bring them to come and be with me. And he's saying, the way God called you is by our gospel. How does God call people to salvation? By the gospel. And we know the gospel, right? Everyone here knows the gospel. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all that are falling short of the glory of God, for that cause, God says that for I delivered all first of all importance that which I received, that our Lord Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures, and that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. So the gospel is that Jesus came to die for my sins so that I will not die in my sins. And that by believing in him and repenting of my sins and accepting as my Lord and Savior, I will have eternal life and I will follow him save him. And this is the gospel says that that's how God called you. To the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing Paul talked about in Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, um, 29, where he says to be conformed to the image of his son. And no, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ is the same thing. The image of his son is the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. He's admonishing them. And hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our letters. Now unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God. Who is he calling God? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God. Comma. Even our Father. He's calling Jesus Christ God. He's calling the Father God. One day I'll teach you on that. Because Jesus is God. Which had loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Hallelujah. Then he said, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and work. Hallelujah. When you read the Bible, you say it's sweet, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you know what? It's true. One day there'll be tribulation. People will run in front of their lives. And people have to take the mark of the beast. And whatever I said, Charlie, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You have been chosen from the beginning. You are not going to, you are not going to be lost during the time of tribulation. You will endure. Why? Because from the very beginning, you had already been ordained to conform to the glory of his son. So don't be bothered about these things. There is a consolation for you. Are you with me? There's recompense. Why? It's like I was telling you about last, last week, I was telling you about protocol. That I can go to the um, European embassy or British embassy right now and make arrangements for you while you are not even ar around. Then as soon as you get there, while everyone is going through a line, somebody comes and says, ah, are you blessing? He said, yes. He said, oh, Prophet Micah has already made arrangements for you so you won't go through all this process. Come and let's go. 
Are you following me? And that's why Paul is talking about. He said, there shall be consolation, everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Then he said, because of this, don't worry, comfort yourselves. Comfort your hearts and be established. Yourselves in every good word and in every good work. Every good word means be comforted. I know that things are not going well in your Christian life, but believe that which has been spoken and be comforted in your Christian journey. And know that God's grace is with you. And you will not be lost. And you will be strengthened in the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord will be to you a reward, a recompense, a, a consolation. Okay? It's like that day while others are crying, the day you are rather going to be happy. I mean it. Like the day of the Lord is not a day that you should be afraid like they say, God will bring a giant screen and then you will show all your words. Then when it's done, he said, go to hell. No! That's what Paul is saying here. He said, because he has called you, because you have believed in this gospel, because you have believed in Christ, because you have hated unrighteousness, on that day, you will not be shivering. You will be happy. Hallelujah. Let's finish chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. Even as it is with you, say the word of God has been glorified. I mean, these believers, God's word has become a reality. Okay? Verse 2. That we may be believed from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. They pray for us so that people receive our ministry because a lot of people have rejected the gospel. All men have not faith made them means that all men are not Christians. That's what it means. All men are not Christians. All men have not believed the gospel. All men are not saved. Okay? But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you or establish you and keep you from evil. Do you see that? He said, God shall keep you strong. And what shall he do? He shall keep you from evil. Let me show you a scripture in the book of Jude. Jude 24. The same thing is made there. Jude 24. Hey, where am I? Am I lost? Yeah. Are you there? Now to him that is able to keep you from falling. Do you see there? The same statement that Judy, the Jude is making here. And to prevent you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and dominion. Both now and forever. Amen. Do you see there? It's the same thing Paul is making here. He says that God is faithful. The same thing is made, made in this same statement. Verse what? Verse 3. Verse 3 instead. God is faithful that he will establish you and keep you from all from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command. It means that the thing we preach to, we know that you will do it. You will live it. And the Lord directs your hearts unto the love of God and unto the patient waiting of of Christ. Now we command you, brethren. He's beginning a new turn here. Brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye redraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. 
and not after the tradition which he received of us. This is Paul speaking. Redraw. Another time he said, and have, no, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Again, he asked the Corinthian church that they should cast out a guy who was sleeping with his stepmother. They should sack him from church. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we have behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. We had a standard. We had a way of living. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travailed night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. He's repeating what he had already said in 1 um, Thessalonians. Okay? He's saying that because in chapter 3 downwards, he's talking about what? Idleness and laziness because some of them said, if Jesus is coming tomorrow, why should I work? Don't you think about it. I know you understand. If Jesus is coming tomorrow, we don't have to build our AFM center. It's a waste. If Jesus is coming tomorrow, if my money is in my bag, I have to go and spend it. And that's what some of them were doing. They stopped working. They stopped doing anything. They just said, Charlie, let's just be idle and sleep. And Paul said, ah, when we came among you, were we not working? Were we not working? Were we not taking salaries? We worked day and night. Why are you people being lazy? Not because, there is a verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if anyone would not work, neither should he eat. He's saying this because these guys have said Jesus is coming tomorrow and they say they don't work. They say they don't work. None of you should give them food. Because they are trying to use the coming of the day of our Lord Jesus Christ to hinder you. And I want to tell you something, history. About 100 years ago, or about 100 years ago, and 200 years ago, Christianity in Africa, okay, was at a standstill because they didn't build temples and churches. Only one or two buildings in Africa because they believed that Jesus was coming so soon that our fathers refused to send their children to school. Our fathers refused to do anything. They refused to write books because they saw that it wasn't necessary. They refused to preserve Christianity, they refused to build. Even some of you had certain grandparents and parents that never built a house because they believed that Jesus was coming next month or next year. And they didn't build a single building. Today, some people are struggling because their parents didn't. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing here. That Charlie, if you guys do not pay attention and work, you are going to bring us trouble. It is like saying that Jesus will come tomorrow. And because of that, I won't do anything again. I'll just sleep. There's no need for me to even do work again. Forget about the work of ministry because Jesus is coming. There's no need. And that's exactly what this is. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybody. Busybodies there is, they are concerned. You will realize that in chapter 4, it talks about let them mind their own business. These guys were just going about chatting and doing concern in the church and that's what they were doing, moving from one house to the other, concern, concern, and they're just busy bodies doing nothing, not working. Are you with me? Please work on the, 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 this step. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work. 
and eat their own bread. It's the same thing he's saying when he told them to mind their own business. The same thing in all kind. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. And he said, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. He's teaching us a thin line between people who reject the gospel who are in church. I mean, they reject many things. Like, do you know there are people in this church that don't believe in tithe? Okay? <laughs> they don't believe in tithe. But tithe is taught in the Bible. Tithe is not something that is a cake. Again, there are people who are also in the church that don't believe a lot of things that we will do. And Paul is saying, mark those people, have no company with them. But admonish them once in a while, trying to encourage them. Try to admonish them, try to encourage them to come in the faith. So, we must mark people. We must notice people. For instance, I have people that I know in ministry who are preaching crazy things. I mean, craziest of things. And I don't discuss those things with them. And I, I, have, a, I have a way that I, I leave a deal with them. Are you with me? Uh -huh, like, some of you have even been around me. We've been to play where you heard the preacher make some kind of statement. You're like, hey, I see me have a party kind of And you're correct, but... Aha, uh -huh. we, we just try to, aha, uh -huh. and that's what Paul is saying, Charlie, don't see him as your enemy. And that's what some people try to do. They try to see people that have little misunderstandings to certain things as their enemies, and they, they begin to oppose them, that someone will have to preach a whole message against uh, maybe archbishop or something, because archbishop says something, all those things. And that's, that's not a good thing. So Paul is saying that don't see them as your enemies, but as your brothers and admonish them, exhort them. Now, the Lord of peace himself. He's giving us a third prayer. We see this book has three prayers. The Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Gosh. You see, eh? what? it's serious, oh. I mean to say that uh, God can give you peace always by all means. Yes. So when I'm seated in a car and the car is going and the driver is driving carelessly, I say, you don't know who you are dealing with. I mean that God will give me peace always by all means. It means if he has to make somebody die to have me, make me have peace, he will have to make somebody die so that I have peace. I, no, is it not by all means? What is by all means? By all means means what? Is it not Paul that is saying that? He said, by all means. So if the people that are tormenting them in, in Thessalonica, if some of them have to die, they will die so that they have peace. By all means. And that's why I told you, if you go through scripture very well, realize that sometimes some people, God will have to remove, let some people lose their jobs so that his child will have peace. And sometimes when you are hearing a preacher say, eh, somebody has lost his job because he tried to threaten me and some Christian will rise up and say, how will God do that? Well, why will God do that? All this, you don't know your Bible. You don't know your Bible. I mean to say that so, when you decide, when your faith is robust and you are God's elect, and any man tries to rise against you, God will come in and avenge you and give you peace. Always. Did he say only on Sundays? Did he say only on Thursdays? Did he say only on Fridays? 
Always. How many means? By all means. Arendo sobamba la daya kabaya. Hey. By all means. This statement is also like the Psalm 1 where he says, Whatsoever you do it shall prosper. <laughs> it's so open that, my God. Now, this is scriptural. This is a promise of God that I who is elect, I who is going, me who is going through storms, me who is serving God. He says that I can pray that God will give me peace. This is a prayer Paul is making all. He's making a prayer. And that's why tonight I'm praying for everyone in this place. May God give you peace by all ways and by all means in the month of May, receive peace. In the month of June, receive peace. In the month of July, receive peace. In the month of August, receive peace. In the month of September, receive peace. October, peace. November, peace. December, peace. In all ways, by all means, any man that shall arise against God's peace concerning your life, they shall be put to shame. They shall be put to shame. The Lord shall put them to shame in the name of Jesus. The Lord be with you all. Receive divine presence. Receive divine presence. Receive manifest presence. Receive the presence of God in your life. When you go, the Lord go with you. When you come, may the Lord come with you. May God's presence be evident in your life. In the name of Jesus. Then he closed the salutation. He said, The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is the token in every epistle. So I write, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.